This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon. You are listening to WABC Radio 770 on the dial, and my name is Madam Adams, Madam Cindy Adams, the same creature who was on the New York Post Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And right now, unless you change the dial, in which case I will hate you forever, I am going to speak to you for an hour. So I'm going to start with, I just came across a November 20, 1999 joke column. It's on politics. It was written by my late husband, comedian Joey Adams, who was president of all the actors. He wrote it. I want to repeat it because I just read it. It's funny, and it even works for today. And it reads, quote, Our first presidential debate for this season was a dead heat. Al Gore was dead. His opponent was in heat. And George Bush had some prior commitment, which actually ended up being a Tupperware party. Why was that? That's because his supporters determined that 92% of the people in his own state don't know him. We go on. Then it says... And let's talk about Hillary. Hillary? Let's get to Hillary. Her holiday parties will feature a game. It's called Pin the Tail on Anyone. She also says, if elected, her first task will be to see that Senate leaders without sin instigate stoning procedures. This was Joey's column from a thousand years ago. Now we get, he said, Let's get to the analysts. Analysts declare Bill Clinton politically impotent, which you might say is not where his impotence is most needed. And then there is Sox the cat, who is tired of his master's sex habits and meowed to Buddy, the first dog. I told you this was a cat house. And Al Gore? He says he stands behind the president. He'd like to stand in front, but there's always a girl in the way. Okay? Continuing on. We all know, and this has not to do with Joey's column anymore. This has to do with something that Henry Kissinger once wrote in a a pamphlet called Conspiratorially Speaking. We all know Clinton did Monica Lewinsky. Some of us know FDR did Lucy Mercer. Everyone knows JFK played Potsy with half our population. And then there's Warren, last name Harding. He had assorted ladies. Continuing on in my heavily researched history, Alexander Hamilton's lover, she was Maria. And then there was the time when Caught in the cat house with Donna Rice, the presidential hopeful Gary Hart, then never made the White House. Thomas Jefferson, the enslaved Sally Hemings, and leave us not leave out Eisenhower, who was also busy and long married and known to be driving his lady driver. Listen, going back to our then chief of state, Warren Harding, he had Carrie Phillips, and etc., etc., etc. 
as I said earlier, in something called conspiratorially speaking, our great statesman Henry Kissinger once wrote, quote, American presidential dalliances seem almost commonplace. Okay, so listen. Anyone today notice if currently, like right now, our White House Rose Garden might be blooming? <sighs> Who knows? But for some inexplicable reason, I'm into collecting today. So here is my collection of little-known anything. Dionne Warwick, she was godmother to O.J. Simpson's daughter, Arnell. Our gone but great movie star, Jimmy Stewart, was godfather to Jane Fonda. Gene Siskel bought John Travolta's white Saturday Night Fever suit. He bought it for $2,000. Then, ready? You won't believe this. Seventeen years later, at a Christie's auction, he then resold it for $145,000. Okay, back probably in the days when the New York subway was still a nickel, starting out as a band, John Lennon and Paul McCartney used the name Johnny and the Moondogs. The Beatles and Rolling Stones originally called themselves the Silver Beatles and the Silver Rolling Stones. Wait, I got more. Eddie Murphy, he once bought a Jimi Hendrix headband for $19,500. Agatha Christie was addicted to doing numerical puzzles. She said she'd have been a mathematician if she hadn't written mystery novels. Remember Barry Goldwater? He once shaved. You ready? Pay attention. Barry Goldwater once shaved with peanut butter. This, I don't understand at all. He even praised it. Maybe it was Jiffy. In 1986, for $93,500, Charlie Sheen bought the baseball that gave the Mets the world championship. They'd probably buy it back now for a buck and a quarter. On hotel registers, Marlon Brando signed Lord Greystoke, which was Tarzan's British name. Geronimo's real name was Goya Thaley, which means one who yawns. Why? I, I don't know. I'm just lucky I know this. Woodrow Wilson affectedly spelled the word OK as O-K-E-H, because he considered that the proper Choctaw spelling. Timothy Leary was godfather to Winona Ryder, whose real last name is Horowitz. George Reeve, who was our early Superman, he was buried in the gray suit he wore as Clark Kent. And take middle names. James Hoffa, his was Riddle. Robert S. McNamara, his was Strange. Joe E. Brown's was Even. And Mickey Rooney's was Ninian. And mine, not that anyone's asking, is Irene. Okay, we're going for all the prices. Milk is up, gas is up. For rent, you need a Brinks truck. 
and the Hamptons has finally caught on. One Montauk dockside joint now charges $97, $97 for a lobster cob salad. That is highway lobbery. Crowds, even at places they can't get into, cost at a neat equinox pop-up for sweating in Bridgehampton. It now screens applicants for $750 a month. Hey, some workouts just don't work out. And my valuable piece of information is the guy in the White House drools and the guy in our city hall fools. So my question is, where did New York City's mayor, Eric the Great, get educated? The answer for all of you is frig you. Stay tuned, because even if you don't like me, you will love my interview with Hugh Jackman. Bye. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I'm about to introduce Hugh Jackman. He is one of our most adored stars. He's been on Broadway now, starring in The Music Man. He's going to leave it at the end of the year. I know Hugh Jackman a thousand years from when he first started and came in from Australia. And we all love Hugh Jackman. Hey, Hugh. Cindy, how Is are it you? really you? You? It, is it, it really you, Cindy? That's what I want to know. Yes, it's me. Listen, listen. I'm still around. I'm still around. I'm still around. <laughs> so what? tell me, what is the regimen for eight shows a week? I mean, how do you do it? What time do you get up or how do you rehearse? How Got do you survive every day? I get up about eight. I sleep a lot. I, I'm a meditator. I've meditated twice a day for 25 years. Without that, I'd be probably dead right now. Um, and I train a couple of times a week. I, I take it kind of easy during the day and, you know, feel 53 during the day so I can try and pretend to be 35 when I'm on stage. Listen, honey, I'm 200 years old now, so I understand that. But I'm not sure I know how does one handle the exhaustion at the end of a week? Um, martinis. <laughs> it, hides every, it just hides everything. It makes everything fine. <laughs> I try not to make them too many plurals. Just one plural is fine. <laughs> but do you... Do but no, I, I sleep... I, I'm, I'm like... Um, I really... Well, because of COVID, I'm rarely going out, but I don't go out a lot. And uh, what did I do this Sunday? I finished the show, went out to dinner with my kids, and then we watched Big with Tom Hanks. Oh, that was Jesus. my Sunday night. So it's really, it's very racy <laughs> my life. Hugh, Hugh, you, Hugh, I was there opening night. I know how good it is. I know how great it is. I understand everything. But have you ever in your whole life effed up or goofed up on stage? Oh, so many times. Like how? How do you how do you survive it? Um, yeah. Well, I once peed my pants on stage wearing <laughs> red tights. That's about as far. That's about as goofed up as you can get. And um, how did I do it? I just had to laugh it off. Like, what do you do in the end of the day? Like, 
raw humor. I think I partly love that little bit of it. I love when someone makes a mistake when I go. I don't love doing mistakes, but I guess in in the end, you just have to sign up for not being perfect. Yes, but uh, but but uh, then losing your drawers or something. I mean, did you ever forget a lyric? Or because I yes, try, I've I, done it. I've done it a couple of times in this show, and it's terrifying because it's so fast. And once you get off the train, it's like miraculous to get back on and uh it it frightens me uh, it's happened twice on this where i've just lost one or two lines and then for the next three shows i'm in the wings sweating you know thinking oh god have i got all these so yeah that happens all the time but do they cover for you does another actor cover for you or how does the line come back to you I don't worry so much during the scenes um, because I'll figure I'll just ad lib around, or the other actor can help you. It worries me during, it worries me during a number. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. You know when you're doing those very fast patter songs like in this, you know, I got trouble right here, and I've trouble with a couple of tea runs. And when you get off track there, then you're in deep. Yeah, do do. But I noticed that you got thinner. You had lost weight. Why yep. did you do it with deliberation or what? No, just no choice. I mean, just the, the amount of dancing and moving around. And, and actually, I am, that's probably, I'm, I'm skinny. So I've had to put on weight for every part I've done. You know, like Wolverine, I've always had to put on weight and all that sort of thing. So it, my body naturally wants to go there. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really Tommy Toon, basically. Well, Warren Carlyle did an awful lot of dancing in this particular show, much more than the original. So that was an awful lot of strain on you, it would seem to me. He's great. He's wonderful. But but it was a lot of that. What about the problems of COVID? Did that hit the show or you? Yeah, 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 yeah. We we got it pretty much the same time everybody else did. We went down. We were down. I Sutton came down with it. I and then you know we're kissing on stage every night, so I knew I was going to come down with it. Um, and then my wife, who kisses me every night, came down with it. So yeah, uh, we over the Christmas we were shut down for ten days, and we've had um, you know since then we've had to be very careful, and we've had a little bit of an uptick recently, but nothing that has taken us down. So. Um, you know, it's been a very, in that way, it's stressful. Uh, I must admit, I do a test every morning and I look at that thing waiting for the one line and, you know, breathe a sigh of relief every morning that it's negative. What about Monday nights or Sunday nights Mm. or after theater? Do you have any little nice social life anymore? I do actually. Yeah. Um, I, I love the Sunday nights, especially because I don't have to worry about anything the next day. Monday nights, <laughs> again, I'm, you know, starting to think it's like, you know, Sunday night, you got to get up and go to work the next day. But I, I go out, my wife is incredibly extroverted and social. So she finds so the idea of me not doing anything on my nights off is just not really a possibility. She's like, oh, no. I don't get you for six nights a week. Like, we're going out. <laughs> I think you're absolutely great. Have you ever hurt yourself? On You move a lot. You're very, very visible the way you move and dance. Yeah. Did you ever yeah. twist anything or anything? It's very fast yeah. moving. Yeah, about a week ago, I, I, I actually don't know how it happened, but I found myself facing the floorboards I tripped over and I was facing the floorboards and when I got up I was fine actually um I'd done my ankle a little bit but not too bad but when I got up the entire cast cheered me like I'd finished the marathon I think they were 
they were very nervous. It probably looked more dramatic than it was. Oh, and those books, throwing those books. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I dropped it the other night and it went right on the conductor's head. And he it was (laughs) it was quite funny because he had his hands up in a very kind of Marx Brother comical way. And thank God it didn't crack his head open. But yeah, I blew that one. Of course, the audience loved it. A thousand years ago, um, I mean, you're too young, but a thousand years ago, did you ever see the original version no. of, the, of this musical? No, just a film. Just a film. I've never, no, no, I didn't see it. Did you, did, I wish did, I had. Did you see the film now just before you yeah, went in? Yeah, I saw the film. Not just before. I saw it probably three years ago and then deliberately didn't go back because I just, you know, figured it would be in my head and I tried to, you know, obviously I'm trying to create my own version of the character and so I just didn't want to have that in my head too much. Okay, so what are you going to do now? I have to know. It's not my business, but what else am I going to ask? What <laughs> What are you going to do? Like today? No, in general. No, in general. No, I've, I'm, you know, we're not even halfway through the year, so I'm definitely here all year. I'm loving it so much. I might just go full Yul Brenner and just do it for the next 21 years. I don't think you can do that. But tell me, <laughs> tell me, tell me how long, how much longer are you going to be in this show? Just to the new year. And, and then, then, uh, and then, then what? I'm looking at a couple of film stuff. So I'll probably go and do some film after that. Well, tell me what it's like when the audience member takes a photo or you can hear a cell phone going off. Do you not get mm. that? Yeah, we get it a couple of times. You, you hear the cell phones. Um, it's a, you know, if, if I if I had never left my cell phone on in my life, I might be a little more incensed. But I'll be honest. I can I think once or twice I have, and it's embarrassing. So I just sort of let it go. I sometimes feel a bit. I must admit, I can see camera. And when you look out there, they they're reflected. So you can see when people are videoing the whole show. And I'm occasionally I look right at the camera, kind of like really guy like. You have to like that's that annoys me a little bit, but in general, I try not to let that stuff phase me. You may not remember because I was certainly not that important in your life, but I remember the first interview you and I ever did. Mm-hmm. It was in front of a candy counter in a movie house where your first movie was opening. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what it was like to be? Suddenly, a star from Australia. Yeah, I do. I remember it very clearly because I was uh, the X Men movie came out, yeah, and on the yep. Monday, and I was shooting a movie at the time. So I and it was with Meg Ryan the movie. So I was on a movie where cameras followed her everywhere and completely ignored me. And I came out on the Monday after <laughs> X Men opened in full costume. And my trailer was right next to Meg's and I came out and there was the usual 15 photographers, you know. And so I just, you know, reflexively looked over my shoulder thinking Meg must have walked out of her trailer and there was no Meg. And I was a bit bemused by all this. And they were all, then I realized they were all yelling out, Hugh, Hugh, Wolverine, Wolverine. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that, all right. This is that moment. But you became you became a star instantly, instantly. And I know that they're going to pull you away. I can only say I know your guest bathroom is black. If you sit in the John, does it change color? <laughs> 
No, I'm not. I'm not that powerful. <laughs> but you're the best, Cindy. You always make me laugh. You're I love you. I love you. I, I love, love you too. Cindy. I love you, sweetheart. Thanks, Take honey. Care. Bye. Good on you. Bye. Bye. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Marilou Henner was one of the original stars of the original Broadway show, Grease. It opened back in the Stone Age, and it is now sliding back again in our pandemic age. So now we speak to Marilou Henner. Listen, you did Grease originally in 1971. Your original job, it's coming out now. How did you get the original one in 1971? Okay, well, I grew up in a very unusual family because I had a dancing school in the backyard, a beauty shop in the kitchen, art classes going on upstairs, a very cultural center in a middle-class neighborhood in Chicago, right? And because I was part of a dancing school, people would call and say, oh, we need 12 kids for the King and I. And it's like, oh, pick me, pick me. Two kids for South Pacific. Pick me, pick me. So I got involved in Chicago Community Theater. And what happened is when I was 15, I did a production of The Boyfriend. And there was a guy there, Jim Jacobs, who was over, you know, 10 years older than I was. And we became friends. He was a real character. He was writing, uh, working at an advertising agency, writing you know, junk mail and little ads and stuff. And then he called me two years later and he said, Henner, I've written a show. It may never get off the ground. I wrote it about the kids I went to high school with and it's called Grease and I want you to be part of it. So I always say, yeah, because I do my show and I tell the whole story in my show. And I said, uh, you know, so long before the Broadway company of Grease, the movie of Grease, the reality series Grease, even before Grease on Ice, I was on the original, I was part of the original, original, original company in Chicago. Okay, so we, tell me who else was in it? Who else was in it in those days? Oh, no, it was like local Chicago community theater actors. The only other person was James Canning, Jim Canning, who ended up playing duty on Broadway. And so anyway, so we were doing it in Chicago. It became this big hit. It was a very unusual piece. Uh, my mom wouldn't come to see it because I said F you in it seven times. And she was very, I don't care if. If you take your clothes off, I just don't want to hear you swear, you know, because it was raw and it was gritty and it was very dark and mostly book and all kinds of scenes anywhere about high school life. And so what happened was Ken Waisman saw the production in Chicago and thought this would make a great Broadway show. So he brought it to New York. He hired, you know, Tom Moore and Pat Birch and Louis St. Louis and, and he and his partner, Maxine Fox, put it together And some of the people from Chicago went to New York to audition, but I didn't want to lose time at school because I thought, no way is this thing going to be a hit. No way, because it's Chicago. And then, of course, it was, became this huge success. I saw it when I was doing, when I went to a school trip on a school spring break, saw it uh, on Broadway. And then Jim, Jim Jacobs called me a few months later and said, you have to come to New York right now. If you, I saved the parts for you for the national company. So okay, okay, okay. I, uh, okay. Yeah. Let Let me ask a question. the The people who you were in it with, are you still in touch with any of the other principals after all these years? You mean from Chicago or from the national company? From the national company when it got oh, famous. I, I just I just left someone who sends you their love. Jerry Zaks and I just had lunch today. He yeah. said, give her a big hug and kiss from me. <laughs> what did he you. play? What did he play in it? He played Kanicki. He played Kanicki in our national company. And Judy Kay was playing Rizzo. 
She and I are still friendly. Ellen March has been my maid of honor twice. She was Frenchie. Johnny Travolta was playing duty. Uh, Jeff Conaway, with whom I got to do Taxi so many years later, he was our Danny Zuko. And rehearsing with us for the London Company was Richard Gere. Oh, my. Oh, my goodness. I know. Oh, my goodness. They all became famous. So you're in touch with everybody. Yeah, pretty much. What was your salary then? What was your salary then? $325 a week. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So tell me. But I had no agent. I didn't have to pay an agent. (laughs) So I went on the national. I did the national company, and we went to – I did it in order for people the other day. We went to Boston, Philly, New Haven, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Columbus, Indianapolis, Washington, Cleveland, Toronto, Cincinnati, Denver, um, Detroit, Cincinnati, Denver, and then Los Angeles, and then back to Chicago. Okay, listen. The Disney film is coming out again this summer, isn't it? The Disney film? Isn't there a film – Aren't you doing a Disney film this yes, summer? Yes, I am. I thought you that when you said coming out again this summer, I thought it was like another no, no, no. Film. Um, no tell no, me no. now I'm what you're doing. Disney. Tell me now I, what you're I, doing now. Oh well, I'm doing my show at Fifty Four Below on June eighth, which I'm very excited about. It. I've done it thirty times all over the country during the pandemic. I've done a bunch of Hallmark movies. I've got more that are coming up, and I just did a film for Disney. It's called Haunted Mansion. And uh, it's with Owen Wilson, Tiffany Haddish, Lakeith Stanfield, Danny DeVito, my buddy, and uh, Rosario Dawson. And uh, I'm doing a really fun cameo in that. So that'll be out. I don't know when that's going to be out, though. You just did Feinstein's, didn't you? Yes, I did. I did a Grease Night. I'm doing another Grease Night uh, June 6th with a lot of the original people. And I'm um, doing... Uh, my my own show on June the eighth, which has just been getting great reviews, and I'm. What do you mean with the original people? You're not getting Richard Gere to slap down and no, do it. What, what are Richard you talking Gere. about? Well, the original Carol Demas, Eileen yeah. Kristen, James Canning, uh, yeah, uh, Maria Small's doing it. Uh, you know Bob Garrett, who played Teen Angel, a whole bunch of people from that company. Ray Demas, Judy Kay. Oh she yeah. She does the eleven yeah. o'clock number. She's going to sing. Um, worst things I could do, and also Ellen March, who played our Frenchie. So yeah, a bunch of us have gotten together. We're going to put on a show. Although you know, tickets are scarce, so you better like get in a waiting list if you want to see it. But, okay, yeah. okay. Before I get on a waiting list, tell me about. You also <laughs> did Roxy in Chicago. When was that? Four hundred eight performances. Four hundred eight performances. My first performance was June twenty fourth, nineteen ninety seven. My last one in New York was March twenty second of ninety eight, and then I opened July sixth in Las Vegas, and then did it over the, the holiday season. I did it all summer, and then did it over the holiday season. So four hundred eight performances of Roxy. Did you ever <laughs> blow a line? You know what? I never make the gag reels because I have this incredible, this unusual memory. And so I, you know, it was kind of like sad that I didn't make the gag reels at taxi. (laughs) So meantime, in all of the work that you're doing, how did you have Mm -hmm. time to knock off three husbands? Ah! I didn't knock them off. I'm still on my third and final. But, you know, you, you, you sort of amortize your time over the... You know, I always say that because I have this unusual memory. It's like that's probably why I'm on my third and final husband. But I, you know, you just you go through life, and sometimes I tell three theories of marriage. Okay, 
in my show. First of all, marriage is like making waffles. You throw the first one out. The good. second That's theory good. of marriage. Yeah. The second theory of marriage isn't really like the second marriage, but it's the second theory of marriage. Marriage is finding that special certain someone you just know you'd love to aggravate the rest of your life. Because marriage is like, ee, 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 you know, so it's like a little needling. But then the third theory of marriage, Saint Exupery, who wrote The Little Prince, wrote something. I added something to it. And that is, you'll have a happy marriage when you realize marriage isn't two people gazing longingly into each other's eyes, but looking out over the mountain in the same directions. Oh, for God's sake, already. Oh, oh, with their oh. hands on each other's. You know what? Because you have to have vision and you have to have heat. Both. Okay, vision, so speaking heat, of heat and speaking of your three husbands and speaking of all you've done, has your body changed in the 50 years you've been doing all this? No, it's just gotten better because, you know, I lost my parents very young and I couldn't let their deaths be in vain. So I ended up giving meat, giving up meat, dairy. I don't eat gluten. I've been plant-based for a very long time and I'm actually 54 pounds thinner than I was at my heaviest. What so about I your measurements? Are they the now. same? Your measurements? Uh, they're uh, much better. Much, much better. Yeah, well, you have to send me what, what you're doing. You have to send me what you're doing. What have you done during the pandemic? I've written like 10 books about this. Pardon me? <laughs> Wait, you've got, tell me first, what are you doing? What did you do about during the pandemic? Oh, my God. I did nine movies. I, I, I did nine different films, either for Hallmark, Lifetime, the Disney film. I did 10 different movies for Netflix where I dubbed foreign films. And then I did my club act uh, 30 times. I'll, I'm about to do it the 31st time on June 8th. So I've been very busy. It's been good. It's been, you know, I mean, listen, I, and, and, and my taxi guys, we have been able to totally be in present time with one another. Cause you know, you always waited till everybody could get together, but now we do these zooms. I mean, Seth Rudetsky, um, you know, he started this whole thing, Stars in the House, and we were the first company to to do it. So we continued doing it for one another, and we love it. Tell me about a book. I know you're ha- you have a book that's coming out or is out, like like now. Oh, Isn't- well, it's my not my book. It's a well, I'm part of the book because I tell my stories, my Greece stories. But the book is called Greece. Tell me more. Tell me more. I helped them with the title. I gave them the title. But Tom Moore, Adrian Barbeau, and Ken Waisman, because Adrian was the original Rizzo, the three of them compiled everybody's stories and edited. And it's really the history of Greece from when it was, well, a little bit about Chicago, but really the whole Broadway and then all the different companies and everything else. So unlike most books, which are just about the first company, this book is about all the companies that were spawned from the original Broadway company. Can you tell me a story? Can you tell me one of the stories? Um, Sure. I mean, I tell, you know, there's one story that's a harrowing story from one of the bus and trucks where they almost had a plane crash. So that's like a lot of fun. But it's about putting together the Broadway show. And I tell how I was connected to it and how, you know, I got involved with Jim Jacobs and Jim Canning, who had just come home from the Peace Corps. He saw an ad that was on a lamppost in Chicago. You know, it's like everybody, Greece has spawned so many different careers. It was most people's first introduction to an equity card. And so you've got all these great people telling stories about their involvement with Greece. 
I tell you the truth, I have loved talking to you, Marilyn. You're delicious. Oh, thank you. Thank and you. I feel the same way. I know why Jerry Zax is in love with you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we'll be in touch again, and you'll be on the air and on Sunday, which is when you're going to be listening to yourself, okay? Yes. And I hope you come to see my show at 54 Below on Wednesday, June 8th. At I certainly will. Thank you, honey. Okay, doll. All right, Bye. thanks. Bye. Bye. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I just thought of a true story I want to tell you. I keep forgetting these things, and then I remember them all of a sudden. This is a true story. There was a Park Avenue lady. She was sparkling in spangles and sprinkles and, and major diamonds after some sort of a black tie event. She was traveling in a rented Lexus. She headed upstate. She was alone. The non-professional driver, not knowing his way, got himself lost, and he plowed stupidly through the Bronx in bad sections. It was 8.30 at night, dark, lonely, quiet. Believe this or not, and it is 100% true. The nice, shiny Lexus got a flat Call who? Do what? He's in the Bronx, in the middle of the Bronx. It's dark. It's alone. There's nobody else on the street. Run where? Choose which? Do what? This lady, all dressed up in jewels, is shivering now in the back seat. He is alone outside for a half hour. He's changing the tire. I know this true to be. I know the story. I know the people. Eventually, after reaching her destination safely, friends asked, What about the jewels? The diamonds? Did you take them off? Did you stuff them in your purse? She said, No. I kept them on. Kept them on? Why did you keep them on? So I could hand them over easily. This is only in New York, kids. Only in New York. Now, also, one more thing. This month is the birthday of Oscar Schindler of Spielberg's 1993 film Schindler's List. After the war, his secretary, whose name was Mimi Reinhard, and who had been held prisoner near Krakow, she found her way here to New York. She got a two-bedroom efficiency, and eventually she reunited with her son, Sasha. Mrs. Reinhardt lived for about 50 years in this Upper West Side place. She was soft-spoken and impeccably turned out, her hair invariably coiffed. She'd had lists, which she still had, of 1,200 Jews who were destined for camps. As depicted in the movie Schindler's List, she saved multiple lives from Nazi extermination. I know this story. I know that Mrs. Reinhardt quickly closed her door, always, so no one could ever see inside. I don't know what was inside. I don't know what she was hiding. I only know 
that she was guarded and always certain the door stayed locked, even when removing trash. Her neighbor was a book writer named Jim Fragal, who told me the story and who had moved there in 1970. Okay, comes now the time that I wish to do some very heavy issues. For instance, I have a very heavy, ponderous issue to present. Since I know only deep, serious, major thinkers listen to my broadcast, I need to ask all of you a truly head-scratching question. And that is, ready? Isn't it odd that nobody ever asks a proctologist how does he do his work? I'm now finished. Okay, now I'm going to go on to other things. I have other serious, heavy thoughts. This is a serious one. We are into a frightening realism. Close to a hundred years ago, a politician named von Hindenburg beat Adolf Hitler for president of Germany. Hitler then came back. His return was because of massive populism. That is when a country turns, and this massive populism, plus everything else that is going, is what created the ingenuous Reichstag fire setting for which Adolf Hitler went in the wings blamed the communists and Jews. He found certain sects to pin it on. And now may our beloved, treasured America, land of the free, home of the brave, beware. Study your history. It is almost like the separatism we are going through now. If our Democratic Party caves to democratic socialists, entertaining deep leftist radical ideas like destroying the police and killing off free enterprise along with our constitutional separation of powers, the door can open to tyrannical domination. I am just saying, I love my country, and I wanted to share that. So now, about my New York. Listen, everyone has his, hers, its, their own shtick. Like, how about the time light bulbs were all off at Madonna's place? As in, really? Off, off. Did you know about that? Not just turned off. Not just turned not on. Why were they off? Investigation has proved burnout. Not her. The lights. They were old. Not her. The bulbs. Why? They were done. Kaput. Not replaced. Finished. Maybe, probably, possibly. <laughs> they could have been Edison's original batch. Could have been an accident. Or maybe nobody noticed. Could also be Madonna just needed to see her teenage boy lover in the dark, where maybe she could teach him how to spell Home Depot. Okay, more. Coming now is further invasion of our privacy. 
Enough with our privacy being invaded. Phones know where we are. Computers tell what you think. Hospitals invade your gizzard. Forget the IRS. Now artificial intelligence says it can read human emotions, feelings. So pay attention. I am telling you I have just learned that businesses can soon know how to begin to sell you that schmata you didn't need in the first place. A big house, a glamorous car, expensive vacation, food, toys, accessories, all lead to what we buy. Conscious or not, humans react to triggers. There's a group called Cognovi Labs. They now offers what's called Emotion AI. Its CEO says, not all in industry can translate insights into actionable strategies. But this little company that could figured it out and is first to offer industries. Emotion AI is an emotional response to all ticketed items. Let us watch. Okay, now I got a question. We all treasure Her Majesty the Queen. Queen Elizabeth carries on in that same old, lousy, tired, black, unfashionable handbag that schleps off her wrist. The thing always hangs from her gloved wrist. What's she got in it? A bus transfer? A credit card? Wallet? Okay, I understand if you maybe need Kleenex, but what else would Her Majesty have? Sneakers for yoga? Keys to the kingdom? How to open the front door to Buckingham Palace? Could be, maybe, the cell number of Meghan Markle? But for this, she could ask me, because boy, do I have her number. But I need to know, what does she carry in that bag? Okay, I'll tell you, I discovered why. She carries it in her hand. She has her aides with her when she is at an event. When she changes the handbag from one wrist to the other, it tells her aides, move me along. I have had enough with whomever I am talking to. That's what I'm telling you, and you wouldn't have heard it from anyone else. Okay, now before I sign off, I need to mention Manhattan's newest package deal. It's getting the store to gift wrap the stuff you just shoplifted, which, of course, is only in New York, kids, only in New York. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.